Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. My wonderful listeners. Before I begin, I would like to make it clear that this episode is based off the BBC4 podcast Desert Island Discs, where you imagine you are stranded on an island and you have eight music titles to choose from. As you can hear, we are sitting outside here with my guest today, an international coach, trainer, and facilitator who works with prominent family businesses in the role of life coach and mentor. He specializes in three core areas, leadership development training, life coaching, and family business consulting. Drawing on his extensive experience of over 35 years in consulting with multinational corporations, government and business entrepreneurs, this taking place on three different continents where he's taught more than 200,000 managers, administrators, teachers, technologists, and clergy. An ongoing project that he works on is the Standard Bearers Academy, which operates with the vision to provide role models to the world. When talking about his childhood as Muslim in India, he explains, But the whole matter remained most distastefully with me, and is the first thing I remember even today, when I think of school, life, 40 years ago. It's not human nature, he says, that we remember pain more than pleasure. And so, through the glow of the good times, rises up the head of painful experience, refusing to be forgotten. Known for his constant smile and hearty laugh, along with his love of nature, adventure, and rich life experiences, we welcome the ever-well-known author, Mr. Mirza Yawar Beige. Welcome, kind sir. It's a great pleasure, uh, Omar. I um, am honored that you think I'm worthy of being interviewed. <laughs> I hope your your listeners agree <laughs> when we are done with this thing. Absolutely. Now, Jazakumullah for being here. Thank you very much. This will be a fun uh, episode. I want us to begin off with what we were saying about growing in, in India as Muslim, even though these experiences refuse to be forgotten. How do you work on setting them aside? You know, the way is to accept the negative and then to focus on the strength which enabled you to overcome that negative. So not just think about the negative as, as saying, well, you know what, this happened to me and uh, I, was, I'm so, I was so sad, I was insulted, whatnot, whatnot, whatever it was. But to say, well, despite this, I was able to get over it. What was that within me? And what what is within one, and this is uh, given to all of us, is to be able to focus on our own strengths, number one. Number two is to refuse to accept the other's definition of you. To refuse to accept others' definition of you. Of you. So, for example, if somebody says, you are a donkey, now it's up to me whether I accept that definition and I get angry about that or to have a good laugh and say, now hold on a second, here is the picture of a donkey, right? Now let me put it next to my face, right? Do I look like that? Yeah. So I make it into a joke because I know I'm not a donkey. Uh, so why, why, why do I allow that to spoil my life? Now this is the, I'm giving you a, a facetious example, but this is true for everything else. So in India, for example, the um, anti-Muslim feeling, which today in 2020 is very open and, and right up front mm -hmm. 
uh, in the time I was growing up, which is in the 60s, late 50s, 60s, uh, it was not uh, so open. Uh, we like to say that, you know, we all loved each other and, you know, we treated each other as brothers and sisters and so on and so forth. I am not so sure whether that was in fact the case. What I do believe is that, yes, we did that. Outward behavior was like that. So life was very pleasant. But there was always a kind of undertone. Um, because this goes back, this goes back many, many years, many decades. Uh, there was an undertone. So occasionally it did come up. For example, I was invited, the, the most, um, the incident which uh, sits with me uh, is this good friend of mine. This guy was my, my classmate in school and that time we were both nine years old. Now, he was a Brahmin, the highest caste of Hindu. Now, in Hinduism, the caste system is part of religion. So, it's not if, 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 a, if a high caste Hindu considers a lower caste, a Dalit, as being unclean, uh, according to his religion, he's not doing anything wrong. That is the religion. Okay, I see. So, now, Muslims according to the Hindu caste system, okay. are even out of the system. So we are we are not just low caste, we have no caste. So, we're, okay. So we're, part, we're partly unclean then? Not partly. You're completely and totally unclean. I mean, okay. you, you are, you know, they're called malacha, okay. which is you're totally out of it, right? So anyway, now this friend of mine invited me for lunch. Uh, so I was very happy. I, you know, I, I'm nine, nine years old, right? So, I mean, uh, somebody invites you for lunch when you're nine years old, you're very happy. So I, I said to my mom, uh, so and so invited me for lunch, um, and uh, can I go? So I could see from her face that she was not particularly thrilled about that, but she didn't stop me. She said, "Go." So I went. Now, even at that age, the things that I noticed, which is that we, the two of us, had lunch. His mother was there. Father was not home. Mother was there. But mother didn't sit with us. Now, that could also be part of the culture because in, in the in traditional Hindu culture, uh, traditional Indian culture, uh, the women uh, serve. They don't sit with the men to eat, mm-hmm. even if the men are nine years old. So anyway, so just the two of us, we sat and we had lunch. And then we finished and then we went and sat in the living room. Now, in that process, I noticed that the mother said to the maid servant, there was a servant girl there, uh, she said to her, take that plate and wash it outside. Okay. So now there is a kitchen sink in which everything else gets washed, but the plate in which I ate oh. was washed outside the house uh, under a tap uh, in the garden. So Because you ate from it. Because I ate from it. So the plate becomes unclean and this plate cannot be mixed with the other plates in the house. Now, this didn't uh, strike me instantly, but it did. I mean, it did it, it, it sort of, so why are they doing that? I mean, you know, uh, and then, of course, I knew the answer. I mean, when you grow up in that environment, you always know the answers. Uh, but I went home and I told my mother, I said, Mom, this is what happened. And my mother said, that is why I was not very happy that you should go there. But she said, I didn't stop you because these are also realities of life that we must learn if we are living in this country. On this wonderful note, I think it's time for our first song, which you have chosen to be Banana Boat. Can you quickly walk us through why you've chosen this song? 
you know no harry belafonte's uh, banana boat is a song that was released the day i was born 20th of october 1955 so i think that is that is a good good enough reason for me to uh, to to choose that Beautiful song indeed, mashallah. I want us to jump in to the beginnings as you were talking about a time in your life where many people don't know that you were admitted to the Hyderabad public school at the age of six, a boarding school. Looking back at it now, how do you feel this time and age of your time, uh, of, of your life impacted you? You know, um, they conned me into it. They conned you into it. <laughs> <laughs> My parents told me that if you go there, they will give you bread, butter, jam and omelette for breakfast every day. Mm-hmm. And, and I was six years old. I mean, for me, that was... What sounds better. Yeah, it was better. <laughs> so, I agree. Um, I think they were basically trying to get rid of me. I was probably too too boisterous or I don't know what. By by then, my parents had uh, two other children. So, my my sister and my brother uh, were were, were there. So, I I think they were trying to get rid of me. Anyway, so I went off to boarding school. Uh, This is... Hyderabad Public School is one of six uh, boarding schools... Uh, in India at the time at the time uh, one I mean they are the, one of top six and uh, even today it has it has a f- fabulous reputation for example Satya Nadella is a graduate of uh, HPS sure. uh, the, the the CEO of uh, of Microsoft mm-hmm. of course Satya Nadella was three years old when I graduated and <laughs> I left the school so you <laughs> weren't talking about him at that time but anyway uh, and so also many other people uh, who were um, graduates of the school uh, we tend to name only uh, in in today's world. It's interesting. I always think about this that today we almost exclusively, if somebody talks about somebody great, and it it bears thinking and reflection. We almost always talk only about billionaires. We almost always talk only about businessmen or CEOs, right? As if nobody else has any significance. I mean, if you if you talk about if you tell if you tell somebody. Name for me three great people. I can almost guarantee you that it will be three business billionaires, period. Right? Nobody will name an academic. Nobody will name a professor. Nobody will name a researcher. Most of us don't even know the names of researchers. So uh, I feel like you're saying a lot of people look at the materialistic total, means total. and forget about the character. Yes. Nobody will name a great musician. Nobody will name a, a, a cleric, a, you know, a, a, a person of religion. Uh, almost nobody. If you say three great people... Almost invariably, you're going to say Warren Buffett, uh, you know, uh, 
Steve Jobs or Bill Gates, Bill Gates uh, or uh, you know somebody like this. So now the the, the, the problem is um, uh, Jeff Bezos. So we let me not forget Jeff Bezos. We we, we all salute Jeff Bezos. <laughs> Amazon, 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 Amazon. This is a this is a what if I must. Inshallah. I know. <laughs> I was in the I was in the actual Amazon. Oh, you were, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the river with piranhas. <laughs> I, I actually got the opportunity to meet him uh, at school, and I asked him a question. I said. Uh, does money bring you happiness? The sort of cliche question. He didn't answer the question. You know, he he kind of went around it. But I yeah, yeah. So anyway, the the, the so the school was when I, when I, but I enjoyed school. I mean, I I have, don't have any negative memories. I thoroughly enjoyed myself. I um I interestingly I to this day I am in touch with uh at least one mm-hmm. of the people who were with me in school at age six. And uh, with his mother, who was my who was my class teacher, okay. Mrs. Anwar Hussain. He's your best friend. He's my he's my best friend. Oh well, you know, oh, I don't know if he's best friend or not, but he's a good friend. <laughs> uh, Nizwar, his name is Nizwar, and Nizwar and I uh, were in class, the same school together. Nizwar's mom uh, was my uh, was the was the was my class teacher, and I'm in touch with them till today. So it was it was lovely. I enjoyed that. I want us to come back actually to a story you mentioned in your autobiography about the school. Uh, pertaining to the principal, which we'll come back to. But this brings on brings us to the next piece and selection of music, which you have chosen to be Bob Dylan's Blowing in the Wind. Mm. What's the reasoning behind this selection? You know, Bob Dylan's Blowing in the Wind is a beautiful piece which brings us back to reality. And Bob Dylan is telling us, really look at uh, the kind of society that we have created. Uh, which nobody is happy with, you know, no, including including the the, the so called great billionaires. Mm-hmm. They are not happy with the society that they themselves have created because they have to surround themselves with multiple you know layers of security. Uh, they cannot walk in a, safely somewhere. They have to be guarded. I mean, what kind of society is that? And obviously, saying that we are the creators of this thing, and, and and the answer is blowing in the wind. I mean, it's it's not it's not a secret. Right, it's the answer is blowing in the wind. Take, for example, we glorify war, we glorify soldiers, we glorify weapons. Uh, you call Alexander the Great. Why? Because he raped and pillaged his, wor- his way across the world. For what? What was one constructive thing that Alexander did? Right, one single constructive nothing. All he did was destruction, destruction. And we call Alexander the Great. Then we. Paradoxically, we say uh, we want a world that is full of tranquility and peace and harmony. You know what? You buy, you you get what you pay for. So if you are going to glorify war, you're going to glorify violence. Uh, you're going to get that because that is your, your your role model is a trained killer. Just because he is in a uniform, uh, you call him a soldier. Uh, you give him precedence uh, while boarding aircraft. But what are you looking at? You're looking at a person who's trained to kill human beings. Right. And so, ironically, so, they call them the greats. They call them the great. So here you got Bob Dylan who's saying, "Look, stop fooling yourself. The answer is blowing in the wind." How many roads must a man walk down before you call him a man? How many seas must the white dove sail before she sleeps in the sand? How many times must the king of 
We had talked about briefly your time in the boarding school, and one story that came up in your autobiography was Mr. Uh, my pronunciation will be totally off, but Kurevila Jacob. Your pronunciation is correct. Who, mashallah, was a tall, dark man who wore posh and posh white clothing with uh, shiny black shoes. And one day when the school bell rang, you guys gathered around him in the bathroom and found him with a bucket filled with brushes. Of course, he ignored you and continued on with his work cleaning out the graffiti on the toilet walls. When he was done, interestingly, he smiled at you guys and said nothing and left. Looking back at this now, how did these actions leave an imprint on you, recapping the story? You know, the, the actions left an imprint that is strong enough for me to talk about that in 2020. The incident happened in 1965 or, or something, I was 68, right? Um, that, that, that is strong enough. Uh, he was an amazing man. He uh, was a leader by, uh, he taught me this principle that children listen with their eyes. This is one of my quotes. I say children listen with their eyes, not with their ears. Uh, and this is true for everybody, not just children. Uh, people don't care what you say until they see what you do. I think that's marvelous. Children listen with their eyes. With their eyes. Children. So people say, you know, how must I raise my children? Uh, what must I say to them? I say, I tell them, say nothing, just do it. Uh, your children will be raised the way they see you operating. Uh, one of the things I do is uh, is talk about education. And I have a book on raising children and whatnot. Um, so, it, it's Kruvela Jacob was a man who, who embodied that. Um, I remember once we had this, uh, that incident also is in the book, but once we had this, we had this custom in the school that every class had lunch with the principal in the principal's uh, bungalow uh, once per term so you know your 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 turn came every three four months mm -hmm. the principal bungalow was a huge palatial thing big veranda in front and so on and the class our classes were about 25 people only 25 children so we would uh, you know go along there and have lunch with him now uh, when it was turned for my class one time you know, we went there it so happened that he wa he hadn't come back from work now, his wife obviously didn't want to let loose 25 boys inside the house. So, she told us, stay, stay outside. So, it was a beautiful it, beautiful winter uh, morning. Uh, so, we were all on the lawn uh, outside the house. Now, just behind the lawn was the uh, fruit garden, was the orchard of the principal's, principal's bungalow. And there were guava trees there, which were which had full, full of guavas. So, uh, so a friend of mine and me, the two of us got up into the tree and we were, we were plugging guavas and throwing it down to the, to the other boys. This is at the principal's house. Principal's house. Now, in that whole process, Mr. Kruger Jacob walked in. Now, these boys, I mean, this is where you learn who your real friends are. The, uh, the other guys, obviously, the 25, and there's no way that 25 people didn't see him, right? But not a single one of them warned us. So, this is where you learn who your real friends are. Mm -hmm. So, anyway, he walked past, he went inside the house. The next thing I know is him calling, boys, come for lunch. I mean, I almost dropped out of that tree. <laughs> because this is like stealing the, the, the idol from a temple or something. You know, it's like you, you are caught stealing the principal's guavas by the, by principal. the principal in his house. I mean, this is like, 
you know, capital I, crime. I can tell you remember this very vividly. Seriously, I mean, I, I thought this is the end of me. I'm going to be chucked out of school, and you know, when I go home, my father will slaughter me with a blunt knife because I, I got my, I got myself kicked out of the best school in the country. So anyway, what do we see when we go to the house? We see him standing on the top of the stairs. There were three or four stairs going up to the veranda. Standing on the top of the stairs, he had two big baskets of bana- of guavas on either side of him. So when we got when we got to him, and I was like within course a de facto leader of the <laughs> of the gang. So I was the first. When I got there, he said, uh, "Take take take a guava, take a guava." So I picked one. He said, "Take one more." So I said, "I picked another one." He said, "Isn't it isn't it better to eat nice ripe guavas than climbing trees?" I mean. He could have said anything. I was going to say yes, sir. But the point, the point is that, that you know, the manner he did it. The manner he did. So here is a man who could have punished us. He could have humiliated us, but he treated us as guests in his house. So even when your guest is misbehaving, you still don't insult your guests. And that's the. Now, I don't even know whether that was the message he was trying to give. But this is the message I got: that you do not insult your guests, no matter what, right? So treat your guests well. And the the impression. I mean, one thing is, I never I never climbed a guava tree again. <laughs> but apart from that, the point is that this is something which happened. As I told you, in 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 the sixties and twenty twenty today, I am I still remember that and so vividly. The power of a great teacher. On this one wonderful note, it's time for our next piece of selection of music. I have the tiger. <laughs> <laughs> I have the tiger is my is my absolute favorite. You know, a man and his will to survive. I mean, this is like fantastic in, in this world. At the end of the day, it's you with yourself. Right? Well, you were certainly with yourself on the yeah. guava tree up there, eating yeah. the guavas. <laughs> <laughs> I want us to focus on your upbringing again and still stay on this topic, talking about your parents, which you've uh, mentioned very, you've praised a lot in this book. At one stage, you mentioned, and this is in the beginning of the book, that you lived, in a relative terms, a poor, as you you chose it, a poor kind of life. Uh, And you expressed that the lack of resources was a source of benefit. Tell me more about the statement. You know, when I say poor, poor, alhamdulillah, it wasn't as if he was we was hurting for money to eat food or something like that. It wasn't that uh, poor in the sense that we had, and this is true for not just for me, but I think more or less my generation. Uh, we had almost zero spending money. Believe it or not, I mean I might sound stupid, but for a long time in my life, I did not know the term pocket money. 
uh, I didn't know anyone who had pocket money. I didn't get pocket money. Uh, so I wasn't even missing pocket money. So it was not. You, you wanted something, you went and asked your parents, number one. Number two is uh, we didn't go buy stuff because we had no money. And parents just didn't buy stuff for us. So because I was the eldest, usually I got all the new stuff and my brother got to wear my, my <laughs> hand-me-downs, right? I mean, he remembers it all, all, all his life. I can relate. I'm also the older brother, yeah. All right. So this is, this is, this is how life was. Um, we had no gadgets. I mean, there weren't any gadgets around anyway. I mean, the, 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 the only gadget was, uh, the only, the only entertainment gadget was a radio. The only medical gadget was an x-ray machine. <laughs> Incidentally, <laughs> if you got sick, that's it. X-ray was the, was the absolute ultimate that you got, right? There weren't anything else. Um, a, a telephone was something that sat on a, on a desk and it was wired into the wall and, uh, you had a, a Rotary. And I just want to picture, I mean, you, you would sit together around the radio with your father and mother and listen to the news. Yeah. Especially yeah. when something so major happened. we would listen happened. to the news. Uh, we would sit. My father had this, uh, almost it was like a daily custom. In the evening, uh, we would all sit around and we would listen to the news. Uh, we also listened to a, a, a radio station from Sri Lanka, from those days, which was called Ceylon, okay. from Colombo. Uh, and it was called Binaka Geetmala. So it was uh, Radio Ceylon. Binaka Geet Mala and the presenter was a man called Amin Sayani. Remember this very well, Mashallah. Yeah. And uh, they played uh, movie songs, Indian Indian movie songs. And uh, of course, the, the, the hot favorite was Muhammad Rafi. Uh, one of the finest, uh, you know, we call them Hindi songs, but these are actually Urdu, <laughs> Urdu songs. Uh, but this was, he was one of the finest Hindi Hindi song singers uh, of all time. Muhammad Rafi he was absolutely fantastic. Uh, Lata Mangeshkar was another one, and uh, there is a lady. Uh, so, Radio Ceylon, Binaka Geet Mala. This is what sometimes we would listen to, and then we would listen to the news. And interestingly, my father had this way uh, where he would discuss news with us, and we were all little kids. Mm-hmm. I was the oldest, and, I, and the oldest that I got to at that time of my life was about, I think, age six, 15 or 16. Uh, so, all my other siblings were younger than that. But my father discussed news with us. He discussed politics with us. One of the earliest memories I have is my father discussing the Palestinian situation. And, and, uh, he is something that he said that he said that my greatest wish is to go and work in Palestine. He was a doctor. My greatest wish is to go and work in Palestine as a doctor to help the people. And he never got to do that uh, for a number of reasons. But the point is that this is what he, he always said. He was, his heart was with Palestinian people and with what they have and this ambition for 60 this is a never ending story may Allah may Allah protect uh, everyone everywhere so mm-hmm. that that is what we used to do the other thing that my father and mother uh, used to do together all of us as a family was to my father would recite poetry and he would recite uh, Ghalib's poetry and he would recite Muhammad Iqbal's Allama Iqbal's poetry and especially Iqbal's poetry uh, my father he knew you know literally hundreds and Allah knows how many lines of poetry hundreds probably thousands of Allah anyway so he would recite uh, this poetry and he would then also explain and sometimes which if he didn't if he wasn't able to get a word um, what correctly my mother would correct him because my mother's knowledge of Urdu was even better than my father's. So this is the kind of conversation we had. I mean, Alhamdulillah, it was a very unique environment. Um, the third thing that my father used to do was to give me books to read. 
he would get some book and he would he used to read two or three books at a time and i i do the same i i read two or three books at a time really yeah so it, it's a very good exercise also for your mind because you have to keep these three uh, storylines separate in your mind and you know be able to link and all that so he would give me a book and uh, then after a few days he would come and say have you finished it as yes sir uh so tell me what do you think about it so now i would uh, initially i mean i obviously i didn't do it a second time but initially i said, the author said he said no 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 i i don't want to know what the author said because i read the book before you read it so i know what the author said i want to know what you are saying right so he he made me think he used to make me reflect and think on what i'm reading uh, not just read and say the author said this and i'm now regurgitating what the author said that that makes no sense said what is your thought what's your take away on this thing you you read what the author so this is another wonderful thing that he did including for example once he uh saw me i was reading some trashy novel i don't know what it was um he saw me doing that he didn't stop me uh, he didn't take it away he didn't say what kind of nonsense are you reading nothing he let me finish when i finished the novel he said okay now what did you get out of this what was your take away what did you get out of this So my my what I took away out of that was don't read this nonsense <laughs> which is which is what he wanted to tell me but he didn't tell me that in that way i mean this is also you know for a for a teenager uh, you tell them don't do this now that's almost a certain way of ensuring that they do that over and over again people are crazy i, I was crazy myself so i mean i, I know exactly what i'm saying uh, so this is the way he used to do it the only thing the only time he didn't do that and is when he wanted he wanted me to be a doctor a medical doctor and uh, he tried to force me to be a, to be a medical doctor and you you see the result i'm not a medical doctor <laughs> <laughs> on a great note i think it's time for our next piece of music this is a great conversation we're having in one day at a time sweet Je- sweet jesus uh what's the connection here it's not so much sweet jesus i mean there's no connection with sweet jesus but it's one day at a time one day at a time and i remember this particular uh, music i used to listen to it a lot when i was in guyana um 79 to 83 uh, it was it was simultaneously two one one is it was a time which i was very happy in guyana it was i was enjoying myself doing all kinds of good stuff uh, maybe we can talk about the i, I don't want us to, i want yeah. us to actually ask this answer this question in about guyana in the next uh, yeah we'll do that yeah. but one of the things there also was i was very lonely Uh, I was alone and uh, I was alone in more ways than one so sometimes life would feel very tough uh, very difficult to you know and, and looking forward the future didn't look all that great and so on uh, so one day at a time now it's it's a, it's a hymn so one day at a time sweet jesus and so on so forth so but it's not I mean, I'm not a christian so it's a <laughs> <laughs> one day at a time beautiful him are you yeah, trying- it is. I, and it's it's very meaningful uh one day at a time give me the strength to do what i have to do 
meaning today, yesterday is gone, tomorrow may never be mine. So today, give me the strength to do what I need to do. I mean, that I think this is a, a very good philosophy to have in life uh, and wake up with a clear goal. What do I need to do today? What must I accomplish? I mean, I this is a second nature to me. When I wake up in the morning, I consciously think of today I need to do one, two, three. The three by three rule. Three by three rule. And uh, then I do that. Uh, on the... You know, sometimes I miss that. Now, I don't do that. And then I, at the end of the day, uh, I feel uh, exhausted and I haven't done anything. And my wife always tells me, you, you feel exhausted because you haven't done anything. If when you are busy doing stuff, you are not exhausted. That's true. You know, there's a lot of energy that gets generated when you are doing meaningful stuff. Mm-hmm. And if you're not doing meaningful stuff, you're just sort of lounging. I mean, you know, you are not created to be a potato. So if... <laughs> well, speaking of potato and the age of adolescence because at 19 you you know at just age of 19 you traveled to the country of Guyana uh, where you didn't have any possessions other than your educational certificates you know and you, you did talk about feeling lonely but you know how, how was this experience for you at the age of 19 you know it was interesting because what happened was that um, my father had gone to Guyana on a uh, on an exchange program mm-hmm. uh, he was a medical doctor as I told you so he went he was hired to work in, a, in Guyana so he went there I had finished my, my college, I had finished my graduation, I had finished my BA in History, Political Science and Urdu Literature. And I was at a loose end, I was doing nothing. Uh, so my father said, well, come, you know, come for a holiday. So I went off. And it was a journey of a lifetime because I traveled on um, Hyderabad to Bombay, I traveled on a caravel. Wow. Uh, those those planes have gone out. Of, they, they don't fly them anymore. It sounds like the movies. Yeah, really. Uh, on a ca- on a ca- on a caravel, and then Bombay to London on a Boeing seven hundred seven. London to New York on a McDonald uh, McDonald Douglas ten. What's the, what's that? That's a plane. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> and then from New York to Miami. On another Boeing 707 wow. and Miami to Georgetown on another Boeing 707. Now this was the, uh, this was the journey and this took me, it is actually flying time alone was like 24 hours and in between, you know, stops and so on. But in those days, uh, you just walked onto a plane like you walk onto a bus. I mean, there were, there weren't any security checks and there were not any three hour pre, I mean, I don't know now, maybe you have to check in the previous day or something. I mean, it's, like, but three hours, you know, pre-checks and nothing. I mean, you, uh, you you went there, you got a boarding pass and you walked onto the plane. So we did that. But when I landed in Ghana, I discovered that my baggage had some other intention. So my baggage was gone to some country. I don't know where it is. <laughs> I never oh, found it. Okay. So you and arrived my, with no baggage. And zero baggage. And my and the interesting thing was that uh, first time traveling, I had I had absolutely no idea about travel whatsoever. First time international travel. So, what I thought was my education certificates, I thought the safest place for them is to put them into the suitcase and lock it up. Well, I did that and the suitcase disappeared. So, I didn't even have my graduation certificate with me. A few years later, I had to get another one from the university. But the the original one which I got from the university was gone. You've never found it again? Never found it again because the whole package was gone. So when I landed in Guyana, I literally I landed with a shot in my back. I had nothing. I had my passport, which was in my pocket. I had whatever money I had in my pocket, and that was it. 
I, I didn't. So from the airport, I said to the, uh, the driver was a guy called Neville. So I said to Neville, take me to a store. Neville said, we are going to your, to your parents' house. I said, I have no clothes to wear. So let's go to a store. Let me go buy myself, a, you know, a shirt and a, you know, underwear and, and stuff. And then we go to the, to the thing. So that is, that is how I landed. So I mean, I've, with me, I have, um, restarted my life. If I'm not mistaken, I think, uh, four times in my life, starting from zero. So it's, it's quite an interesting experience. <laughs> this is breathtaking. Perhaps at this time you wanted to cry because our next song is uh, No Woman, No Cry. <laughs> <laughs> no Woman, No Cry. That was a guy, that was a Rastafarian song, right? Bob Marley. I mean, when I was, when I landed in Ghana, two things had happened. One was the, um, the, the, uh, Jonestown tragedy. Uh, there was this uh, guy, this American guy, American, uh, within quotes, God man, you know, his priest or whatever he was. Um, he started a commune in a place called Jonestown, uh, in Guyana. And he had, if I'm not mistaken, about 300 plus people in that, men, women, children, whatnot. And he convinced them all to commit suicide. What year was this? And they did. This was 79. So this happened in 78. Uh, so they all, they, they, he, he made this, you know, concoction. They put poison in that and they all did that. So, but this 300 plus Americans, they died. Um, obviously it's a big scandal. Uh, I think if I'm not mistaken, a U.S. senator had to go there and that senator got shot. So you had a U.S. senator who got killed who had, you, you had all this whole thing. And it was called the Jonestown tragedy. I mean, you can look it up in, on, on Google. It's a, Terrible thing. Um, that was one thing. And then the other big thing was Bob Marley. So it was the Rastafarians, uh, dreadlocks, uh, Bob Marley. And then, of course, in those days, you know, smoking hash, <laughs> marijuana. So it was, <laughs> I never smoked marijuana, but Bob Marley was the thing. And one of his very, very popular song was No Woman, No Cry. <laughs> You, you mentioned that in your life there are four stages where you restarted. Would you like us? Would you like to walk us through these periods briefly? <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, the first time I restarted, I mentioned already when I get when I went to Guyana, and it was completely unexpected. I mean, I wasn't expecting to land there without my luggage, so I can't claim credit for that. But it happened. Um, so that was starting from scratch. And you know, the, the interesting thing was that when you do that, to this day. With respect to all of these stages, one of the things that I, uh, 
feel is a sense of relief that I have no possessions. I am very happy that I have no possessions. Um, it might sound funny because people say, "Oh my God, you know, I love this, I love that." That's the problem. You love, live, you love stuff that you really should not be loving. Um, I enjoyed the stuff I had, whatever it was. I mean, it wasn't all that much in those days, but I enjoyed it. But when it was gone, the my my overwhelming feeling was that of relief. So now I'm here again to start. So that was one. Second one was when I returned from Guyana to India. Um, I didn't lose all my stuff, but I spent five years in Guyana, uh, and I came back to India with one suitcase. So it was like you know again from zero, and I came back to India. uh no job no almost zero savings because ghana currency by then was was practically worthless so i mean when i got to india it was you know whatever i had uh, so called saved was almost nothing uh and then i had to restart so i got myself a job and what not so i again restarted uh then when i finished 10 years in tea planting you know tea coffee cardamom rubber um my net savings at that time uh were the equivalent of $3000 after 10 years of working and i started my consulting business my my seed capital was $3000 and then in 97 i came to america again with two suitcases uh we had a house full of books which we gave away we had all kinds of stuff we had f- house full of furniture because all of this we had you know built up uh, we gave away i mean because the, the, it has almost no these things you you make you you spend money to make them but when you want to sell them they have almost no value so we decided you know instead of selling them and getting some pittance for it let's give it to somebody who needs it i mean you know, they 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 are happier with that they'll maybe give When you say we, this is you and yeah, my wife. Yeah, wife. yeah. And so, alhamdulillah, I, I have a, a wife who's on the same mental, you know, thing with me. So well, that, no, we're gonna come to your wife. We'll come to your wife after this song, El Condor Pasa. What is what does it mean, El Condor Pasa? <laughs> El Condor Pasa. Even I don't know. I, I know Pasa means to pass or spend time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is from uh, this is from the what is that movie? uh last of the mohicans it's a, it's a wonderful movie and it has some fabulous music in that it's very very soulful kind of music um so uh and and again the you know, the last of it this, this, the mohicans were were a, a native american tribe uh, who were wiped out uh, so the last it's, it's a movie what 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 it's a very sad movie but it's worth watching a lot of you know wonderful things in it um So that's why that's that's why then when I'm in America again from here in uh, the year 2000 we went back to India uh, again two suitcases again landed in India no job no nothing no nothing and uh, then I restarted my my business consulting business I started in 1994 brought it here I used to do consulting here went back to India but in India it was it, it was almost dead because I but this is where the issue of reputation makes a huge difference because when I went back to India uh, it was almost like plugging in to Uh, a network which was waiting for me so alhamdulillah people you know they had a lot of regard uh, so we started that in 2000 and 20 years later i'm back here again so <laughs> el tiempo pasa
we had briefly mentioned your wonderful wife, uh, if I can use that expression. Uh, when you guys first got married, you had uh, stopped working for six months, if I'm not mistaken, and then you also got an ACL injury afterwards, which uh, was a was a disturbing story. You could have prevented, but it ha- what happened has happened. What is the impact and the importance of your wi- of your wife in your life now, as you look back? Uh, over these stories yeah, Alhamdulillah mm, We have been married 35 years How, how did you guys meet? Was it a <laughs> uh, Well we, The way we met was uh, Again I think uh, <clears throat> I, I, owe, I owe this to uh, My wife's uncle and aunt Who are very dear friends of mine And have been for many many years Uncle passed away May Allah give him Jannah Inshallah uh, her aunt is a direct descendant. She is a granddaughter of Sheikh Abdul Qadir Jilani of uh, of Baghdad. Um, so we, the way my wife and I met, <coughs> is, I was <coughs> I wasn't the least bit interested in getting married. Let me say that in the first place. So uh, today, a lot of you know young people come to me, Sheikh, Sheikh, I, I want to get married. I say for what? Why do you want to get married? So I was at that time. I was almost thirty. And I had no intention of getting married whatsoever. Um, but this uncle and aunt of my wife's, uh, they were very good friends of mine. And wherever I was in the world, when I came back to Hyderabad, we had a tradition that uh, we would have lunch together at the Sikandarabad club. And then we would go and uh, watch a movie, whichever any movie was running, uh, you know, in one of the theatres. So on this particular occasion, my uh, her wife's uncle he said to me, "Well, today we had lunch. Then he said, I I need to meet my brother who's here. Uh, so do you mind if we give the movie a miss and then uh, you come along with me? We meet, we meet my brother and then we uh, we'll drop you." I said, "Okay, sure, no problem." And that is where I met my wife. And then uh, you know, to make a long story short, we 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 got married uh, in the in the same same we we met in this was in. Uh, um, December and we got married in March 1985. Right away. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, December to March. Okay. Yeah, December yeah, yeah. to March. I mean, if you if you want to do something, do something. Do right? something. Yeah. <laughs> Leadership. Yeah. <laughs> so we got married uh, in March 1985, and Alhamdulillah, I think one of the this is, I mean, Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala has blessed me. In ways that when I when I read the ayat of the Quran where Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, "Wain ta'udu ni'matullahi la tuhsuha," wallahi, this is true in my life. I I don't have to go and look for it anywhere else. Can we ask for a translation? Yeah, Allah said that if you want to count the blessings of Allah, you will not be able to count them. Um, yeah, this is true in my life. I I don't need to go out and look for that. I, I cannot count the blessings that Allah has given me in my life, and continues to bless me. Wallahi, alhamdulillah. Uh, and one of the one of the biggest of those blessings uh, is my wife. Yeah, she is a huge, huge, huge source of strength uh, for me and a major, major support for me in all I do. I mean, if you just think about this whole thing, I say I went from here to there to there. I mean, you know, I mean, it, I, she comes with me. She allows me to do that. Uh, she doesn't just allow me. She is with me. She supports me, and so on and so forth. I mean, if if that didn't happen. Uh, how would I be able to just walk away somewhere and, and do some stuff? Right? Um, so, in, in major, major so- sense of support. The other big thing with her, with her is that uh, she is educated, she is highly intelligent, 
and she has a mind very much of her own so i she also i mean sometimes sometimes i do it deliberately sometimes uh she forces me to look at myself to look at what i'm doing and stuff uh, some of it is not not pleasant some of it is painful but we have to re- but it's beneficial because i'm able to think about my decisions and so on and take can, better decisions can we ask for example of maybe something you'd like to share of you looked you looked at yourself and you said no this is not right well i mean not right not in the in a in a haram halal sense or something but you know for example if in a in a in a case if i wanted to um for example one of the things in my life i found is that some people in situations uh find me very challenging uh because i have a certain way of doing things uh i focus almost uh dogmatically on quality um if something is not number one quality according to me i'm not satisfied now as there have been several instances instances in my life where people who worked with me find this challenging because they are happy with a lower level of quality and uh, they feel threatened you know within courts uh by working with me because i'm pushing them either directly or indirectly uh to doing more than what they were they would otherwise have done um so sometimes that becomes very irritating and i would probably have retaliated or you know responded in a particular way to somebody but my wife told me she says to me in one particular case she said never criticize so and so don't say anything negative about that person because it does not reflect good well on you uh people will not understand why you are criticizing that person they will think it is jealousy i know it is not jealousy i know you are becoming impatient because that person is not delivering quality but find some other way of doing that now this is a very important thing i mean I, you know if you um ideally speaking left to myself i would have been it, it would have i would have had a blast blasting the other person i mean <laughs> i would have enjoyed doing that believe me but it it would not be a, the best thing to do so things like this which uh, you know over time the other thing also which happens is that um uh, alhamdulillah we are uh, in in the course of all of this uh, you know we we, I have, we have our own house own home in india we've actually two flats uh, and the biggest thing is i own we don't owe any money to anybody so zero debt uh, and so on and so forth. but at the same time I, mean, i don't have a ferrari i don't <laughs> and stuff i don't even want to worry but i'm just saying that in terms of within court stuff uh my wife doesn't have sort of you know she's not mm, dripping with diamonds or pearls uh but the thing is that the mental framework she also doesn't want to drip with diamonds and pearls at least she never told me she wants to do it uh, which is a good thing but i don't have the money to buy that but the point i'm saying is that this kind of emotional support uh is to me the essence of marriage they often say that when you bless so much you you might have a secret with Allah and this brings brings us to the next uh selection of i don't know if we should say music but um do you have a secret with Allah Sheikh Yawar you know when i heard that song uh for the first time i thought about the same thing i said what is my secret with Allah the the poet i'm sure means secret with Allah meaning something good that you did which only Allah knows but i make dua i say allah my only secret is my sins are those sins which you covered and they are a secret because you made them a secret so my my secret with allah is my sins which only allah knows and i bring that to him 
on the day of judgment. And I say, Allah, this is my gift to you. My sins which you covered. And I bring this to you because you are the most forgiving. That's why I bring them to you. So that's my secret with Allah. عند الله بينك أنت وبين الله هل لك صدقات تخفى لا يعلمها إلا الله قصص الله تؤشف إلا بكتابها حين ترى الله ما حراك بهذا أن يكبر قدرك عند الله As we sit outside now in the beautiful nature, as we hear the wind and the planes and the lawnmowers, I've come to really understand that you have a sort of magnificent, gorgeous, humongous love for small birds. Anything else but small birds. <laughs> what is it about the small birds? <laughs> That's a good one. Seriously, I find small birds very inspiring. And uh, in America, I think the most inspiring creature on this land, this beautiful land which Allah has blessed so much, is the black cap chickadee. It's a little bird that big with a, with a black cap on its head. And I see them in the winter. I just want to say when we say small, it's smaller than your palm. It's oh, small. Man, this big. This big. Um, in the winter, these black cap chickadees... Uh, we had a storm here and we had 18 inches of snow. So this thick carpet of snow, you can't see anything. And uh, in that, these little ones, they are full of life, full of energy, and they are coming looking for food. So I, the first thing I did was go to the store and buy my buy a couple of bird feeders and I and I put up feed in them. Uh, and these birds were at that feed and they're eating and I'm hoping they're making dua for me. But I'm saying, they, they imagine the, the courage of those things uh, in that in that winter, minus 20, I don't know what the temperature was. How does Allah keep them alive even? How did how don't they just freeze and, and drop as, as bits of ice? But they take shelter in, in the trees and they live and they, uh, they have no defenses. They have no resources. They build nests and they raise their young and many a time... When those young chicks are, uh, you know, they, they, they are, they're not able to fly, but they are uh, there on the nest, uh, a snake will get them or a crow will get them or something else will get them. Uh, something will eat their eggs. Uh, maybe there's a storm and the whole thing has blown off. Uh, what do they do? They, do they go into depression or do they have to eat Prozac or something? No. I mean, those birds start all over again. So I'm saying this is a, such an example of... Uh, fortitude of uh, you know integrity of spirit of uh, of hard work of not allowing the environment to drag you down no way let the storm come let whatever come i do what i have been created to do and i think this is a the small birds are such a fabulous example small birds with a big meaning small bird with a big meaning
Small birds with a big meal. And this actually brings me to a, a similar question, an experience you had where you had hunted a, uh, by pronunciation, a chital sag, or is a type of deer with your, uh, with a friend, and you had gone back to your uncle, and it was night, and you had shot it, and unfortunately it was too late, so you were afraid to bring it back. And just to give the story uh, that your uncle told you to bring it back because it was not right to leave a dying animal. However, I want to focus more rather on the night you spent with your friend. You guys decided let us sleep the night and go in the morning. And you say in your book, I had discovered that if you consciously decide to be one with your surroundings, you stop feeling hot. Don't ask me for, don't ask me for the physics of it. I'm going to ask you for the physics of it because this is a beautiful sentence. <laughs> what, what, what do you mean here? You know, seriously, I mean, I have uh, lived in environments which are very challenging, to say, to say, to say the least. Um, in India, for example, when I used, to, I, I used to spend my entire summer vacation uh, in this forest on the bank of this river called uh, Kadam, uh, with my uncle, um, uncle meaning, uh, not, not related uncle, but, you know, my father's friend, uh, Uncle Rama. Uh, that's a blue jay making his uh, <laughs> making his presence felt. Oh, you, could, you know, you know that that's a blue jay. Yeah, that's a blue jay. Yeah. Because the sound of the pitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Screaming for <laughs> generally the noisiest. Anyway, so um, the summer in in that place, uh, you get temperatures which go up to uh, 47, 48 degrees Celsius. And it's humid too. Not Fahrenheit, Celsius. Wow. Uh, it's also humid. It's it's <clears throat> it's it's. I mean, it, it, it's almost one twenty Fahrenheit. Almost one twenty Fahrenheit. Yeah. Um, and there is there's no electricity. So forget about air conditioning. I mean, there's, there's no not even a fan. Uh, now, how do you live in that? I can't fan? imagine what that's. Like. Yeah, but it, it is to accept it psychologically to say yes, it is hot. Um, so what? And then focus on the small thing. The small thing is that you sweat. And when you sweat, there's a little bit of breeze and it feels so nice and cool. Cooling. Yeah. So that is the that is the secret of <laughs> feeling one, oneness. <laughs> oneness. Speaking of nature and civilization, your next song is The Trade Winds. Um, this is our final song here. Why why this selection? <laughs> Which one is that? I, 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 I need to listen to the <laughs> We shall listen to it. No, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Was arguing by the zoo. The man tell them I am civilized, I am superior to you. The donkey say, Listen, man, like something wrong with your brain. Sit down and pay attention while I explain. He say, Man, you just call me jackass and say how I stupid. But when I don't feel the walk, I ain't walking. No matter how you beat me But a man will walk and walk and walk Till he drop down with heart attack So answer me fast Who's civilized and who's the jackass? Yeah, Tradewinds is the, is, the, is the group The song is a man and a bunch of animals arguing by the zoo I, I, I love the song because first of all it's in Creole uh, So it's, you know, the, the, the whole um, Creole language is so musical in the way it is spoken yeah, it's, it's lilting uh, second thing is this one and Harry Belafonte's song which we began with which was a banana boat both are what is called calypso music calypso Calypso. so again the, the, the beauty about calypso music is it is very topical uh, 
it's uh, it's not talking about my beloved whose uh, face is like the moon kind of stuff you know it's this is real political stuff in 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 many cases it is things that are happening in society at the time <clears throat> they they address uh, sometimes very key issues uh, and so on so I, i i really like the the idea of that so here he's saying here's a man who is in a zoo he's arguing with the animals and he's saying i'm more civilized than you and uh, the, the 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 songwriter he takes one animal at a time three or four of them starts with the jackass yeah. uh, who proves to the man that the jackass is more civilized than you than a human being so basically he is looking at the, the song is is forcing you to look at how do you define being civilized so if you think about it in today's terms uh, is killing people civilized uh is uh, is looting civilized is ha- is creating an economic system that deprives the poor for example if you take take america for example today uh if a poor man wants to go and lease a car we for who is it more for who is it easier to lease a car if i have a million dollar income uh, uh and i want to lease a car it will be done in 2 seconds flat right uh because i've got the income i've got within quotes the credit rating uh i drive into that place in a mercedes uh, and then i want to lease uh, toyota i mean that guy will fall all over himself leasing me that toyota but if i am a broke student or i am somebody who is uh, you know down on hard times i live in america i have to have a car because you know legs are not enough uh so if i now go there i don't have a credit rating i do not have uh, hell, uh, you know great income uh, the lease rate for me will be much higher than the lease rate for a millionaire so we've created a system like this which which penalizes the poor people so here is a song which is saying what really do you mean by civilization you say you are civilized is it only that i'm driving a nice car i'm wearing nice clothes i've got a nice house is that civilization or is compassion civilization kindness is it civilization integrity is it civilization truthfulness is it civilization what is civilization what is the meaning of being civilized that's 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 why i like the song on this wonderful note as we end our great podcast we had with you thank you so much if we were to ask you for one favorite song to walk away with us so that tough is tough tough question but uh, what would you feel like would be your number one song <laughs> i think my number one song today is that halaka sirun indallah uh what is your secret with allah sheikh yawar it's been a absolute pleasure and honor to be with you uh we learned so much with you do you have any last words for your viewers and, and anyone listening <laughs> famous last, <laughs> <laughs> famous last words <laughs> well i know i think a famous last words is live your life one day at a time and focus on what you want to do on that particular day and be connected with allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and know that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is with you he is he will help you he, if you make a mistake he will forgive you and so don't do anything which you know it to be wrong uh, there's a difference between a mistake and a crime a mistake is something you do because you don't know a crime is something you do knowing it is wrong so don't go into that area don't do something you know is wrong uh fear only allah because that's the only one you need to answer to on the day of judgment don't fear anybody else and live in this world with honor because honor supersedes every single thing else thank you so much if you guys are interested in learning more about sheikh yawar his wonderful autobiography it's my life uh can be found online 
He also has a website. Uh, if you search Mirzli Hour Babes, you can find it at, along with a series of podcasts. You can find it on Apple Podcasts and Android, uh, etc. It's been a pleasure to be uh, hosting this wonderful podcast, and we hope to catch you guys soon. Thank you very much, and take care. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.